listeners, it's been a minute, but it's Izzy here. Oriana and Danielle. And we're not seen on TV. So we just wanted to do a year in review to wrap up some of the milestones um, in Asian representation for 2018. Yeah, so a lot of great moments happened this year. One of the biggest standouts of 2018, I would say, is Crazy Rich Asians. We've talked about it so much on the show. It was one of the highlights and the number one thing I think most Asian Americans, Canadians were looking forward to seeing, and they really delivered. March. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend. What about us taking an adventure east? Like Queens? Singapore. Obviously, we've seen how they that golden box office opening, they've made so much uh, progress for the conversation, the culture, and it brought so many breakout stars, I would say, like Constance Wu, Henry Golding, Aquafina, so many talented Asian Americans and people that we've never uh, seen or had the privilege of seeing on our everyday screens, and they get to really shine in that. What did you guys think? It was great. Um, I sat beside an elderly Asian woman and she was crying, so I think it really touched a lot of people, especially because we haven't seen this sort of movie that relates to us and is about our stories. And Aquafina, who was involved in Crazy Rich Asians, definitely another breakout star of 2018, just herself in general. She was the second Asian woman to host SNL in 18 years since Lucy Liu did it the first time in 2000s and I think that was a great uh, milestone and breaking point like until it was announced that she was going to be a host. Standing here tonight is a dream I never thought would come true. Thank you Lucy for opening the door. I wasn't able to make it in the building back then but 18 years later I am hosting the show. I never even thought about the fact that there was no other Asian uh, female host since Lucy Liu. I didn't even because I was too young to probably watch Lucy Liu back in 2000. But that was a great moment. She's in, she went from Ocean's Aid to Crazy Rich Asians and then hosting SNL. And then now she's going to soon develop her own um, show for Comedy Central. I think documentary or show where she's going to uh, document back from her comedy days. Like she's, she's on a roll. Would you not agree? Yeah, she mm-hmm. is killing it. And it's all it's all coming up for her um and she started off you know just on youtube kind of as this you know underrated rapper so it's cool um and she's just a really cool person so it's it's cool getting someone who um represents uh us in that way yeah last scene she was on the hollywood reporters uh she was on every magazine cover, yeah. I think. Like, yeah. she's doing so much. She's like, doing Google Home <laughs> commercials and ads. And she the MMBAs. And she did. Here. Yeah, here, yes. in, here in Toronto. I think she that did. was her first hosting gig before SNL was yeah. announced, too. And it's really cool because I feel like now that um, there is more Asian representation, people like her who are, who are really talented and creative and... And funny. Are like rena- <laughs> she's like a renaissance-like woman. She does everything. Are actually like getting or being able to do what they want and be creative and 
um, you know, get shows and act. And And it's funny, I didn't even think she would, I mean, I know she's good, like, she was definitely one of the highlights of Ocean's 8, but I think Crazy Rich Asians took her to another level, and then just the response from that, like, the publicity from all of it, really, like, gave her, like, the open window, uh, an open door to, like, because then that's, right after that, she did so much, like everything hosting and all that other stuff so that was so cool i think another highlight on my list personally is obviously i got into k-pop this year with bts coming out um breaking records in america they did so much now this is definitely not asian american but definitely asian in general breaking into american mainstream uh, Canada mainstream, just worldwide domination, I would like to claim. Um, they broke Billboard charts, they were the second to, well, they're the first group to win back-to-back, like, top social artists on Billboard's Music Awards, they performed for the first time there, first Korean boy band to ever do that, and then they... In a matter of three months, they got the first, they got the number one album in the country on the Billboard's 200, and I think that's a huge milestone in um, just the Asian wave of things, and amazing, like, how much they've done, they're, like, everywhere now, I don't think I can turn my eye and see something else and not see their faces on it, or maybe I'm just browsing too much. Yeah, Yeah, it's good to see more Asians in the music industry especially not just bts but also like the 88 rising people joji yeah mm-hmm. brian um yeah that's pretty cool yeah and they're they're really carving out their own like space which yeah. is really great um and also like bts kind of represents like they're not your typical like masculine like yeah, artists they've got, mm-hmm. they're, yeah. they're really like like yeah, they're soft breaking boys. out of like yeah. gender like binaries yeah. which yeah. i think is really yeah, cool they don't adhere to like western they don't exactly uh, like beauty standards yeah or they don't yeah, they yeah don't exactly from, which is exactly. which is really nice because i feel like we we see too much of that toxic yeah. masculinity and in it's the nice media to anyways. see um it's like under that same conversation of what like the people's attractiveness to asian males or unattractiveness to asian males like how they've been perceived for so long so they are another version of that where like you don't have to be like um ripped or anything like that but to be seen as someone attainable and attractive to a lot of uh people and and i love that they also got to again the gender norms thing like that was that's really a key to their message i think um since they like they're they're the first boy band to i think ever speak at the un nation so to give a speech and then talk about loving yourself and gender identity like i think that's a lot to say for east asians who are not uh born and studied under like a more western thinking or anything so that they they also have really good influence on like even almost a political message or a really great like message to young people so that's cool to have that addition from the other side of the world i think yeah and it's cool that they're bringing their culture too because they they know it's not like they only 
they're singing in English, but they're Korean. They're actually singing in Korean. Yeah, I think Billboard you know. said it's the first time in like years that uh, an album that is non-English speaking has been yeah. the top of the charts. Because Asian languages, they're always so ridiculed by people. You know, everyone's all like, oh, ching chong, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously they just mean that for Chinese people because that's the only Asian people seem to know. But yeah. Like, the fact that they're singing in their own language and it's still being celebrated and people are actually singing along, like, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another milestone uh, for me this year in terms of Asian representation um, is in fashion. So this year at the Victoria's Secret uh, Fashion Show, uh, the first Filipino woman to walk the show uh, is Kelsey Merritt. Um, So she's a 21-year-old Filipino-American model, and uh, she kind of goes onto the stage representing, uh, I guess, like, the nation. That's what she kind of said. She's she's representing people back home because we do not see those faces in fashion most of the time. Um, Representation in that area is very low, especially in Victoria's Secret, which is, I think it's a pretty important show because it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's broadcast all over the world. A lot of people look up to it. So um, I think this is, um, this is a really important move for the fashion industry. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, especially with like what Victoria's Secret has gone through, controversies aside, this is a really good like win and plus for Asian representation. And um, yeah, despite all that uh, controversy that they had, like I'm still proud that something good came out of it and that we are getting more diversity in fashion yeah and i hope they continue this and like especially have more dark-skinned asians mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's yeah that colorism is very rampant yeah that's what uh that's like one thing i had to say it's i'm i'm not gonna like bag on her because she is a half like a half right, half yeah. white half filipino like <laughs> yeah no and and she's still like representing like the community but um you know there are dark-skinned uh, Asian people, especially dark-skinned Filipinos, that are beautiful. Yeah. So I think colorism is another aspect um, that they need to tackle. Uh, and hopefully, you know, every year we see more color on that runway. Uh, and in yeah. more fashion houses, especially bigger yeah. names. The bigger the name, the more prominent, the more diversity that should be shown in every variation of skin colors, especially. Yeah. and body types. Yeah, and mm-hmm. body types. So that was uh, Filipino representation in fashion. And another uh, highlight, I think, is um, a story here in Toronto uh, at the Hot Docs Film Festival this year, uh, a documentary about Filipino food and uh, following chefs, Filipino chefs, uh, called Ulam, which means main dish, was showcased. And they kind of go about talking about how, you know, the cuisine has changed and how important it is to the community here. So I think, you know, it's really important. We are uh, the third largest population in Canada and our food is kind of hard for people to understand because it is mixed in with so many different cultures. So this documentary kind of explains that really well. First off, Filipino food is from your home. You know, the 7,107 islands and everybody claims to have the best adobo. But nobody's adobo is better than my Lola, right? Or your Lola. Yeah, that's really cool because like, I grew up in a predominantly, well, 
I'm still there, <laughs> Filipino neighborhood, and so I, like, grew up with Filipino food, and, you know, it never really occurred to me that, like, you don't see Filipino restaurants, or you don't see, like, many, um, like, yeah, Filipino chefs, it's usually just, like, um, other Asian cultures, but, like, yeah, now recently there's been, definitely been, I think, more focus on Filipino cuisine. Yeah, especially with Jollibee moving here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> especially, yeah, in Canada, that's we're getting a the, wave. That's one of the big things. And a lot of times it's uh, a lot of, I'd, I'd say, white chefs, you know, trying to cook, you know, ethnic cuisine, whether it's Filipino or other things, yeah. that, and they might not really know how to do it. So it's nice seeing uh, Filipino chefs being um, showcased here. Um, and uh, trying to tell the story of uh, the culture. And moving on to another food-related milestone for 2018. This year, in The Incredibles 2, there was a Pixar animated short that showed before it called Bao, and it's basically about a Chinese mother uh, that's struggling to transition um, in her life as an empty nester, as her kid grows up but it's represented with um with a bow with a cute little bow and it was just a really i remember watching it in theaters and it was a heartwarming, touching, and funny way to show the immigrant experience. Especially the Canadian, yeah. like, Chinese community, because it's based on um, what the animator and yeah, director so, uh, so creator of the film, Domi Shi, she actually grew up in Toronto, so you see a lot of... Uh, I think it was set in Chinatown in Spadina, so you yeah. see a lot of those Saw scenes. The yeah, <laughs> so so it's really cool for people in in Toronto to see that, and then also to see kind of the immigrant experience growing up here showcased in a really cute, heartwarming way. And I think it's um, it's a it's a good way for to tell a story that might be really sad, and if told like with just a normal normal actors but shown in like a really creative um uh, animated way have, have you guys seen it yeah i saw it it was really cute and i think it was also a really good way to integrate chinese culture with the bows because i don't know if many people well they yeah do, but, uh. yeah and i think a lot of like a lot of people um who watched it you know incredibles too like you have a big demographic of people watching that movie so kind of being shown you know the chinese culture i'm sure a lot of people eat at chinese restaurants but Mm -hmm. seeing what goes on behind that and how families you know how important i guess that dish is to to the culture uh was really cool so for my highlights going back to the canadian theme here uh i want to talk about sandra's o's emmy nomination as a lead actress so she was previously nominated as a supporting actress five times for her work in Grey's anatomy but um, this year, she starred in the TV show Killing Eve, which is really good, by the way. I think everyone should watch it. And she's the lead. Um, she plays a detective chasing down a, like, she's not a serial killer, but a killer, a murderer. I know you are an extraordinary person, exceptionally bright, determined. I know something happened to you. 
I know you're a psychopath. Because of her work there, she got nominated for an Emmy as a lead actress, and she's the first Asian American actress to do so. And it's pretty cool because she's been working in this industry for so long. As I said, she was in Grey's Anatomy, which is what many people know her from. And she's been on that show for a very long time. And I think it's good to see, like, just to see another Asian actress be lifted, uplifted, and for all her hard work to be put in and recognized. And I also think it's pretty awesome that, like, to bring age into this, like, a lot of the Asian American stars that... I know of they're all like pretty young right now and you don't really see many elderly especially just like for women in general to be portrayed more middle age and it's not like they're trying to make Sandra Oh in that show like be younger like she's just playing her age and so I don't know what do you guys think about that Sandra Oh getting the recognition she deserves yep yep and she's not it's not it's like a character that isn't like oh, it's supposed to be Asian or something. She yeah. just happens to be Asian. Yeah, actually, so they're going to make her white. Yeah, so so I think that's cool. And it like, just gives more nuance and versatility to the kind of um, characters that Asian people can play because there shouldn't be a, a cap on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Especially like in drama because like, yeah. Asian people used to always get sacked into comedy, comedy more than drama. It's just nice to get to see her do this, like, her range in this, and seeing more Asian people get this, um, this side of the genre in, in movies and TV, um, to, to show that we can be more than just, uh, your comedy sidekick character, which she sort of did for a little bit, not comedy-wise, but just sidekick character for Mm -hmm. so long, right? Yeah, and going back to what, like, Izzy said, like, the, like, the name of the character is Eve Palastri, like, Obviously, Palastri is not an Asian surname, and so they were gonna like make it a white person. And when Sandra O oh said that when she was auditioning for this, she was like, "Like what the heck?" Like, um, you know. But they still made her Asian, and I think it goes to show like whenever there's like controversy with oh like a white actor playing an Asian um, character or someone with an Asian name, you know, there's always the argument, "Oh, who? It's the best actor who gets it." So that's why they chose that white actor to play this. Asian person but in Sandra O's case like she really was the best actor that's why she got the part because like like I said her name's Eve Palastri they just you know she has a white husband that's how they did it and Mm -hmm. so I think that's really cool and it's so easy to write around like it doesn't make sense all those excuses when you can easily make an exception on why the name is like this like name has no meaning in that term of uh just for why you should choose a white person over a Asian person. Yeah. And that, like, argument's so insulting because it's, like, there's no talented Asian actors, like... Yeah. Like, come on. Sandra Oh clearly proves that that is wrong. Okay, and my... For my next, uh, highlight, also Canadian-related, it's, uh, Mark Sakamoto winning Canada Reads, uh, for his book Forgiveness. So that book is about his family. So he's half Japanese, half white, and I believe his grandfather was a prisoner of war in Japan and his grandmother was in Canada as a Japanese um as part of the Japanese internment. And what I really like about this um book winning is that I think it brings more awareness to the Japanese internments because I only learned about that in high school. 
And I had to learn about it on my own. No one taught me. It's a very, like, I remember in my textbook it being a little tiny, like, box snippet in the history of Canada. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's very overlooked. Yeah. And it just goes to show that the people who write, you know, our textbooks and write our history are mostly white. So it's really important that he was able to, you know, write this book and then get the recognition um, for it as well. Yeah, and it's crazy because, like, this is part of Canada's history. Like, you can't just gloss over all the bad stuff that happened. And especially, I think, like, racism towards Asians in Canada is not talked about enough. It's been long going on. Like, it's just, like, like you said, like a footnote. And, like, I think that more people should be aware of this because everyone, like, thinks this only happened in America because people, like, you know, people like George Takei, like, talked about it, but... Like, it happened here, too, and I think it's, like, pretty sad that we don't get a chance to learn about it. hmm I completely agree. Yeah. Okay. And, um, we're gonna take it to a, a dark turn here with the, the recent Dolce and Gabbana controversy. So, um, basically, Dolce and Gabbana was trying to promote a show in China, which they said was to dedicate their love of the culture the culture and they released a series of ads to promote this show which was very condescending and basically rude and racist towards the chinese culture so they had a chinese model basically use chopsticks trying to eat italian food but like you'd have like really weird captions like of them saying like oh like like use it like pliers and to pick up the pizza and don't let the cheese drop and it was just like really weird it's very condescending and condescending and yeah mocking. yeah they were mocking chinese people they're like oh is it too big for you or something like that yeah. like it's it was like what are you how did that even like come into your head I yeah don't understand why like <laughs> so the controversy was further fueled by some uh, racist messages by um stefano gabano in which he like said stuff about, like, you know, Chinese people eating dogs and all these other, like, horribly racist things. And so, because of that, um, China has basically been, like, really angry, obviously, and their clothing line has been pulled from many retail stores, and many of the Chinese people are boycotting the brand, and obviously the show did not go on (laughs) that they intended, so, um... Yeah, I think it's great that China is basically standing up for themselves. For once, it's really nice to Asians see Asians have this, you know, um, stereotype of being passive, and I think that's probably what they, th- they thought, like, oh, they wouldn't care, or the controversy wouldn't be so bad for them, but the fact that, like, you know, the Chinese people are reacting very strongly by protesting and refusing to wear their clothes, returning them, burning them, like, it kind of shows that, like, they won't take being insulted lightly yeah all their clothes like their entire collections have been pulled from the biggest retailers in china and hong kong and the funny thing is their main one of a good chunk like i heard 30 percent of their market is um mainland chinese buyers and and they are currently the audience that you want to buy your stuff because they and yeah, it's a huge market it's a huge market yeah, so how all the profit you? like you're they're the lose. main consumers of you know those luxury brands, brands. Luxury yeah. brands. Yeah. they so. are the main consumers so it's 
a horrible, stupid move. But going back to the passive thing, I think it is exactly because of that stereotype that drummed up that ad because that ad in itself they were probably gonna be like pretty that. passive it's funny uh, they're not in, gonna in do anything about it yeah, yeah. exactly and 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 i think this will be a good kind of i hope it causes like a, a butterfly effect for all other brands that even have a thought of like <laughs> showcasing like a culture in like a really insensitive tone deaf way um knowing that yeah your consumers and you know they they can stand up for themselves and how much that will affect them as well yeah and dolce and gabbana did release like an apology video where they're like oh it was a cultural misunderstanding but like yeah it just goes to show that it was just racism yeah (laughs) yeah and that on their team like that's a very white team you have if no yeah if or you're all like racist (laughs) yeah or you're yeah if no one was if no one was able to call out oh this ad like this is weird (laughs) this is racist like we shouldn't sensitive we shouldn't have yeah put this up yeah Mm -hmm. so that just goes to question the fashion industry and you know how Mm. Things that still need to do better yeah. in the upcoming yeah. years. You know, so looking forward to 2019, you know, 2018 was such a good year. Like, it surprisingly just, we had so much to talk about already that there's more to come. Can you believe that? Yeah, it's it's pretty great. I'm so excited that we actually have, yeah, that we actually have a lot to talk about and we we can name you know, more Asian actors, musicians than on our fingers, you know? So it's it's good. So um, what do we have coming up, Ariana? Wow. Something that was really fun that I saw coming up is um, on the level of romantic comedies, much like Crazy Rich Asians, we've got the very anticipated movie by... Netflix coming out in 2019 starring Randall Park and Ali Wong some of our really famous uh, favorites um, who is uh, they're gonna be in a romantic comedy together called Always Be My Maybe so that's something that I can't wait to look forward to especially since this year Netflix is really helping us out here like first with to all the boys and now this yeah, like netflix is a real one for this mm-hmm. like they're really helping uh these projects and know, moving forward the and... conversation of asian representation so you can now follow us on twitter facebook and instagram at nsot podcast and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you did not know, we are now currently on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search for Not Seen on TV and you'll see our podcast pop up. So 2019 will truly be a whole new year for the podcast and for whatever new movies, people that come in media, Canadian, American, and worldwide.